Welcome to episode two of Stageworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theater from actors to directors to playwrights to stage managers and more. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at Stageworthy Pod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or a rating. My guest today is Sam Rosenthal, and he joined me to talk about the Hogtown Experience, an immersive theatrical experience playing for one week at the end of January at Toronto's Campbell House, as well as his experience in the recent Montreal production of The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. This is unfortunately a shorter episode than I'd rather, since we were recording this in the Campbell House and they started closing up about 25 minutes in. You'll hear the curator come and tell us she's closing up, in fact. Check out Hogtown at hogtownexperience.com and at Hogtown Live on Twitter and Instagram. It's called the Hogtown, Hogtown Experience. Okay, Hogtown Experience, which is an immersive uh, theatrical performance. Um, what was your like? What made you want to explore this kind of immersive theater uh, as something that you wanted to do? My first experience with it, I, I credit the inspiration fully on the shoulders of um, Sleep No More. And I make no um, bones about saying that I had never experienced immersive theater of this nature, went there three years ago, was so taken with not only the performance, the idea, but also um, the experience stayed with me for like Mm. a year and a half after. And I left thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could do something like that in Toronto? And then my next question is, well, well, how do you make it how do you take someone else's amazing idea and be inspired by it, but then make it your own? Yeah. But that's, so that's where it came from. And then um, followed up with you know, getting this little green book from my father uh, saying, this is what your grandfather and grandmother, this is an organization they belong to. And he handed me this book. And it was actually from an organization uh, that shall remain nameless um, because it's basically like a stonemason's organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't use their secrets, but the template of who they are and what's that about fascinated me. Right. So I started to think, what would it be like if you could experience that in a safe mm. environment? Which led me to then start thinking about, well, wait a second, you know, um, this is a book from 1928. Now let's see, you know, I, I, I love Prohibition, I love the 20s. And I sat down with all of this in my head thinking, there's something here. And for the last year and a half, um, myself and, and, and my co-writer Drew Carnworth sat down and started creating an experience it, you know, that would take place in one venue mm-hmm. that you could essentially be a ghost and walk through and see what it would be like to be in this 
in our case now in the show, in a speakeasy in 1920s Toronto. Mm -hmm. Add to that fact, okay, that's all interesting, I said to myself, but what makes it Toronto? What makes it Hogtown? Well, let's make it about the actual election that took place in 1926. Let's, let's put historical figures in there. Yeah. We put our own spin on it. Yeah. But, you know, who was the mayor in 1926? You know, let's, let's see the genesis of where the TTC and the CNE and where did these ideas come from? Uh, and that, so that's the genesis of where that all came from. <clears throat> the election um, at that time, was that on New Year's Day? That happened on New Year's Day, and it happened uh, between Thomas Foster, who, who was the current mayor at the time, and he was running up against the incumbent Sam McBride. Uh, and without giving anything away, it's all historical fact, Sam McBride loses by 3,000 votes that mm. year. But it's, I mean, by 3,000 votes, it's still pretty close. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting to me about those two guys is you have the sort of Rob Ford at the time without the uh, um, other issues that he's famous for. When I mean Rob Ford, I mean the, you know, let's, let's clamp down, let's penny pinch, let's, you know, and versus the other, uh, the other let's spend, let's grow, let's build this town. Mm -hmm. um, and so what was relevant today was definitely, you know, happening back then as yeah. well. So. Um. So is it is the set the time frame is that New Year's Eve? Yes. So when you arrive at, at the Campbell House, you're coming into a speakeasy on on New Year's Eve, the night before the election, and you're entering uh, uh, what essentially is a um, pre-election um, party for mm -hmm. Sam McBride, who who's feeling pretty confident he's going to win the next day, and mm -hmm. and this is his sort of big, you know, come on, let's 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 what. Let's have a great bash on, on New Year's Eve. Um, complications ensue, and uh, when um, Thomas Foster, the, the current mayor, decides to crash the party as well, because hmm. all the biggest names in town are here. Yeah. And, and that's when things get fun and get interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so how, I mean, as somebody who's right, who writes plays and things like that, how do you approach writing something as immersive as this when there's there isn't a stage per se there's not one spot where people can focus so how do you approach the writing of something like this so um full disclosure since this is my first immersive piece yeah. uh what we did was we looked at each room in the house as a stage so you know what happens in what we call the the adult games room uh all all the characters that enter, uh, all the things that happen in that space. Let's look at that as one stage. Mm -hmm. And we did that with uh, all the other six playing areas in the house. Mm -hmm. And of course, the challenge then becomes, so if one character is downstairs in this scene and you need him upstairs for 20 minutes later, right? It's, it starts to become a, a sort of game of Jenga and Jigsaw. Yeah. How do you, so we made a big chart and we start, you know, we wrote 34 storylines for 34 characters and how they interacted and then just over the years started putting it together. Huh. And, and it really is, um, it's, it's quite challenging because sometimes you, you found yourself creating something for a character to do just for the sake of having that character do something in our earlier drafts and that's when we got into trouble and my co-writer would call me on it and say, well, what... 
what's driving this character forward? What's yeah. interesting about this moment? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and I had to throw my hands up and say, you're right. And we had to go back then and say, you know, this character is pursuing this and, and that. And then all of a sudden, some things really started to click. You know, for example, <clears throat> the mayor's wife, who is based on a certain mayor, which I won't say, Mel Lastman, who's, who's, you know, whose, whose wife was notorious for her partying ways, mm -hmm. let's say. Uh, and so we have a character in the show who, who has the same um, proclivity for alcohol. Now, what's, what's interesting about watching someone who may be, uh, become inebriated? Well, I think at this point in all of our lives, probably nothing much, unless she's got something really interesting and honest to say, mm -hmm. and the alcohol, uh, the honesty comes through that. Yeah. That's what I find interesting. Not an actor stumbling around playing drunk, no. but someone who's unafraid to say what they feel. The alcohol just happens to bring that out. Right. So it was those kind of things as opposed to me saying, well, let's have this actor drink. What? Why? Yeah. Let's have her start to uh, release what she's been holding in for a year as her husband has been you know, um, going through this campaign. Uh, and, and so it's, it, it's really been an interesting um, journey. And as I mentioned to you before we started the interview, you know, you've come today, and today was the first time we hit print on the computer, and out came all these mm -hmm. scenes. And, you know, the script is 200 pages. And, you know, handing it to the stage management team today, and there's four of them, and saying, now, good luck, help me schedule this. I mean, it's... Well, that, I mean... <laughs> I guess, you know, it's 200 pages because it's not linear. It's like right. so many scenes, like, there can be scenes, there's scenes going on at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's not 200 hours of... Stuff. Well, it's 200 hours of stuff, but you couldn't possibly right. see it all. No, you, and you can't. And even though we've, we've done some interesting things to make sure that you're going to see a good chunk of it, you would have to come back several times to catch all the stories. You can't see everything in one night. But isn't Sleep No More like that? Sleep No More, people go back multiple times just to see it all. Very much. And, and one of the things that I was overwhelmed with when I went to New York is seeing the lineup of the people who were going to see the show and the demo demographic was 20 to 35 and they were dropping $120 US mm. to see the show and when I talked to some of these younger folks in line they had seen it three or four times. Now that could be the future of theater here in Toronto. That could revolutionize how the uh, younger generation see theater, right? Can we, can we talk about that? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> um, I mean, one of the major questions that people in theater have is hand-wringing about the future of, of our audience and things like that. Um, and I've heard lots of conversations. There was a, a uh, town hall sort of thing last winter of, of all kinds of people from all kinds of spots in independent theater talking about where's the audience. Um, do, you, do you think that the, the traditional type of theater is uh, uninteresting to the 20 to 30 demographic or is it, is it are they just looking for something different no I wouldn't sell them I wouldn't sell them short and I and I know that um, uh, the the theater that I grew up with that I know that you grew up with too mm -hmm. is still very much alive and well in certain communities and cities but I think that there has to be um, like the iPads and iPhones we have, there has to be new options for theater, and I think that's what I'm what mm -hmm. I'm saying is that um, people want a 
more visceral experience. And I'm not suggesting that you can't get that from a, a typical stage performance, but I'm saying that what I want to do is take a couple of wires and sort of supercharge the battery here yeah. in Toronto and say, okay, great, and how about this? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I can only think of a handful of times when I've seen something on a traditional stage that was really, that I found visceral. Um, so it's interesting to think about how uh, how an, a completely immersive style of theater might work. Now there may be people who aren't familiar with with Sleep No More. Yeah. Also, uh, was it Humber did their the Brandwood. Brandwood last year, which I didn't get to see. Saw it twice. But, I mean, that was uh, lots of people were spectacular. Were spectacular. What is this kind of this kind of theater? So it's the kind of theater where forget about the notion of coming in and sitting down and watching. And that's why I use the term being a ghost. It is about going to an environment, whether it's under a bridge or in a house, and you begin to walk the rooms of the house and there will be people, there will, there will be scenes happening, there will be conversations happening. You'll walk into a room and two actors, three actors, four actors will be having a conversation. And the way it is staged, it's obviously a little more than a conversation. It's a dramatic scene. And you were, gonna, you were going to be welcomed and invited to, to listen and, and see what's happening. The way that I would say it becomes immersive, someone could say to me, well, it sounds like I'll just sit on the side of the room and watch the conversation. What's the difference? The difference is, is that an actor could turn to you and, um, you know... Uh, go over and speak with you, could take your hand and ask you to join the conversation. To, rest, to put the, the fears of the audience at rest, this isn't a murder mystery where you're then going to have to, as an audience, come up with clever conversation. What we do to ally the fears of the audience is we establish the rules at the top and saying, you don't need to speak. This is about you experiencing. Yeah, yeah. So what that means is that you can just sit in silence and and, and become part of the conversation. That means that two politicians could be having a heated conversation and all of a sudden you're the advisor, yeah. meaning you know, you're a silent advisor and one, one, one actor has his hand on your shoulder. If you have two really great actors in a really well-written scene having this conversation, only thing I can describe is that you as the audience member feel like you're there with them, you're, you're part of that conversation and I guess that's what I mean by immersive. Mm -hmm. For example, in the games room, without giving too much away, it's a room where um, you know uh, the still is because it's a speakeasy. It's a room where the rum runners are, and there are different um, you know there's a craps game that happens in there. And as an audience member, you could stand at that craps table, which is dice, by the way, if you're not a, a, a gambler like myself, and you could take part in that game, and you could take part in it. What does that mean from there? You have to come to the show and find out, but. You're definitely not a bystander mm -hmm. in this show. So at no point, it, it's not like you are, you're not a passive participant in a way. You, I mean, you could choose you, to You be, could be. You could, you could be, be. But you could also find your way into the action. Yeah, if you, if you choose. And again, it's not about how clever do you have to be with comebacks. It's not about the audience talking. It's about you being emotionally invested. There's, you know, in the, uh, the Northern Light, that's my, when I refer to the stonemasons, that's the group, that's our group. We call it the Northern Light. And they're going to, you know, if you're brave enough to step in that room, you're going to go through some rituals, mm -hmm. and you're going to be an active participant in those. 
you know, um, you know, again, this isn't a haunted house. We're not dipping your hands in cabbage and, and doing silly things. It's actual um, emotional and visceral uh, a journey that I want the audience to take, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and so we've tried that in a number of interesting ways. And, um, you know, if you're my father, for example, who's 85 years old, who perhaps doesn't want to wander into every room, we also have a white-hot 1920s jazz band that someone could just sit in the speakeasy and listen to the band. Yeah. You know, maybe someone doesn't want to wander the house, I just want to experience the period, mm. right? Because we are in this beautiful, this house that was built in 1822, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that as I hear myself ramble on about what it means to be an immersive experience, you really have to come and experience it for yourself. Um, and, and good luck, and I say that tongue-in-cheek to the audience members who do, because you're going to have to cross the line of temperance women who are marching up and down the fence. And they're going to give you grief for coming in and drinking. Because don't forget, prohibition in Ontario ends in 1927. So we're just at the end of it. So that's also an interesting time where prohibition was in force. And, and people really believed that, you know, you shouldn't be drinking. You know? The devil alcohol, yeah. Yeah. Um, so of course something like this, um, this this can't be uh, a, like this. There, you obviously you have a team of people, um, both your co-writers. You said you have four stage managers. Four stage managers. And yeah. The cast is how big? Thirty-four cast members. Thirty-four cast members. Yeah, and 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 a band of uh, uh, the fantastic Jenny Burke, Michael Barber, um, and uh, um, and Bobby Sue, and I hope I'm saying your, your name right, Bobby, who is playing on the sax and. And they're going to be burning up the joint and a couple of amazing flappers. Mm -hmm. um, so the full experience. I've called in favors. I'm not yeah. going to lie. I've worked with most of these people over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. um, this is an equity collective. Right. Um, and I would say we're not going to use the word workshop because a collective can't be a workshop. But So it's not a workshop. We'll call it a phase one of what we hope will be a permanent ongoing show here at the Campbell House. That's mm -hmm. the goal. That's that's to, to be able to just sort of like because you're only this is only like a week that, that you it's a five day five sort days. of how are we do in Toronto how does this feel for you yeah. and what I'm hoping is that most people will say this was spectacular we want more mm -hmm. and if they do there's an opportunity here to run this all summer long for every summer thereafter mm -hmm. um, and and that's that's the dream that's kind of exciting to have somebody could could do that. I think so. I mean, I think, listen, the, the, you know, in the summer, that's a full-fledged production mm -hmm. where all hands on deck need to be uh, fully compensated, yeah. as everybody should be. So the goal is, how do you do that? How do you get a cast of that many being, you know, uh, and the answer is, you better do something great, inspire people, and, and, and get grants, and, you know, and, and see what you can do. So I think it's the exciting, uh, the exciting thing of... of um, having like this this short trial is the kind of thing that people can see and feel and say we want more of this. Right. So there's more opportunity to sort of like show it off and get people interested and in fact demand more. Well, that's right. And and you know what I'm hoping in the summer is what I wanted to do for the the this production in the January, but I can't. Is the show is written to start on a streetcar. So you would get on a streetcar down at Queen of Coxwell as an right. audience member, and as you come across, the actors start boarding the car, and the show begins, ah. pulls up in front of Campbell House, and in you come. Now, that would be something. 
Right. That would be something like to to to, to ride it like that. Yeah. And meet people even before you're right. So you're you're really part of the show right from the beginning. You know, but that's a, a partnership I have to work with the TTC. Yeah, yeah. The old streetcars you can rent them. Yeah. Right. So these are things that we we this is just the tip of the iceberg for this experience, right? In in terms of these these thirty four people with a 200 page script that's that's quite the rehearsal jo like the job to rehearse no. that's like <laughs> are you, are you, you're hoping that the stage managers can help you figure out how to, how to the stage it. managers are thankfully that the images of what i want are so clear mm -hmm. uh not how the actors are going to act that's their journey but the stage pictures mm -hmm. of what i see in each room are so clear that i'm hoping with the talented actors we have that yes, if the stage managers help me organize the rehearsal schedule, the actors aren't gonna have tons of time. It's mm -hmm. only a two week rehearsal period, yeah. right? So, yeah. but they also don't have um, piles and piles of lines. Again, part of the no. immersive experience, you could go into a room and watch our woman doctor, uh, played by the very talented Lori Nancy Kalamansky, and you could just watch her um, prepare a procedure that she's going mm -hmm. to do. Right? And again, without giving too much away, yeah. just to watch someone in, what's a woman doctor in 1926, yeah. right? What does she, what does she carry? What does she do? And just even watching that experience, you know? So in other words, the actors are going to have to bring a lot to this. Uh, it's not about, you know, um, trying to rehearse a, a, a Shakespeare play where lines themselves yeah. become the issue. It's more of the sense of who they are in the space. There's also, I mean, there's also the, uh, that audience interaction is not necessarily something you can, you don't know what the audience is going to say, so you have to be a little bit flexible with being able to respond to them. Absolutely, and, and, and I can only build in so much in the scenes. It's not about blocking a view cross here. Well, you could be in a room with 30 people. And you would be able to cross. Right, yeah. so it's, it's about telling the actors, you know, helping them with, you know, what are you going after in this scene? Really, what, what is your intention here? What do you need to get done before your 15-minute scene is up? And how can you how can you play it with twenty people milling about in the room watching yeah. it? Yeah. You know, um, you mentioned something earlier, and that was about how you've got so many downstairs. There's got to be upstairs yep. in like ten minutes. How does that person even know that they what time it is? Well, your listeners can't see this due to the uh, joy of radio, but I can tell you I'm holding what I call the Hogtown character timeline. So, for example, I'm holding Tommy Burt. Now, he was the team captain of the uh, Oslers, if I'm saying that correctly. They were the baseball team before the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, for Tommy Burt, the, 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 the character of Tommy Burt, we've actually written out in 15-minute increments where he is. Hmm. So an actor, I'm holding a sheet that basically says from 7 to 7.15, he's here and then 715 to 730 mm -hmm. so if I'm an actor I'm starting with this template to say right I'm going to be in the upper ballroom at eight o'clock I'm going to be down in the games room so we're building timelines mm -hmm. and that's that's one way to not overwhelm actors to say here's where you are overall mm -hmm. now they're not walking around with stopwatches no. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so we have we've introduced a lot of music in the show mm -hmm. and so music plays a big uh, um, role in time mm -hmm. Right, uh, so you'll you'll hear a lot of uh, wonderful ukulele playing, and there's a lot of signals in the houses for the actors to know. Oh, better move on to the next scene. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's very clever. Yeah. Um, 
Could we leave? I want to leave Hogtown for a sure. second. I'd like to talk about um, uh, Betty Kravitz. Sure. Nice. Um, and you were uh, in. Was it the world premiere? It was the it was the world premiere of this new version, okay. a version that that had been done. Um, the same team um, had done this uh, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, um, and but this one now, this version that I did had um, Alan Menken okay. writing the music, so the music was different. Right. The script was also changed. Um, and so of this particular form, yes, this was the world premiere. And as an actor, it was probably one of the best experiences of my life because I got to work with Austin Pendleton, um, who, you know, I was completely intimidated by, this director from New York and this actor who I admire, mm -hmm. who ended up being a, a sweet, gentle, wonderful man filled with passion and intelligence and all of us would go to the wall for him. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, uh, and, and the, the experience was beautiful and, and they were so clever to do it in Montreal because the audience is there, it was their story. They were watching their story on stage about growing up in, in for those who don't know the story, about a young man growing up in the Montreal suburbs and, mm -hmm. um, and what, a, what an incredible experience in the Seattle Center. Uh, uh, what a great theater! I had never worked there before, and they and they have a, a wonderful production team, and it's it was extraordinary. Did uh, did you find the? I mean, the audience obviously um, was very invested in the story. Do you, do you did uh, was it that they were familiar with the story, or just happy to see their story on stage? I would say that mo most were familiar with it, but but I would but what I saw. Uh, from the wings when I would peek out is is the pride of that's our story you know that's me as a kid growing up in this town you know and and I think that um, some of the, the music that Alan Menken wrote was just I mean it just made you weep to listen to you know the, the younger cast members would tease me as I would stand and, and watch some of these beautiful songs that my uh, um, fellows would sing on stage and I would literally cry every night uh, and watch you know some of these songs because it was beautiful you know and it moved me um, it moved me because uh, of, of what the story was but also because um, you know I'm, I was playing a middle aged Jewish businessman so you know playing part of who I am mm -hmm. and it had a lot to say uh often good and often bad about people in business. Yeah. And so it was a great journey. It was a very, a very cool journey. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you can point to that, that you learned uh, through the production of Betty uh, Kravitz that you maybe didn't know before? I, th I think I learned, um, I'm, I'm modeling my directing behavior, funny enough, on what I learned from Dodie Kravitz and Austin Pendleton, which is, um, walk softly but actually carry don't even carry a stick um, carry that love and grace in your heart and your actors will really respect you mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 just, I just learned that and I also learned that you don't have to have all the answers as the director right away mm -hmm. there was times when Austin was building a scene and you know the stage management would team would say you know Austin you, you've left that table on from the scene before and that chair and Austin would say, I know, I know. And they'd say, well, don't you want us to move it out? 
and he would say, stop thinking so, you know, in, in this, you know, naturalistic fashion. He said, I don't know what's going to happen to that table. Leave it. And then he'd have the ghost of the mother appear a week later on that table. Mm-hmm. And we'd say, what? Where did you come up with that? And he would say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And I thought, okay, so, so you don't have to know everything. You have to have a vision. Mm-hmm. But I learned from him to just have faith in the actors, have faith in your crew, and just have faith in how things develop, which maybe as a younger director and someone who's still learning, uh, uh, I, would, I need to do more as opposed to, I need this right now today. You know? That's interesting because I think there's a lot of cases where directors are finding that they think they have to know everything. And um, what do you do when you don't know or you struggle to find it? Maybe it doesn't work when everybody's uh, actually doing it. I used to work with a director years ago who worked out everything on paper before you would start rehearsal and then you get to this point in rehearsal where it wasn't working for the actors and he'd be like, I don't know what you're, what's wrong with you. It works on the paper. It has to work here. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I think something that I did when I came out of directing from York, thinking that, um, won't the actors think I'm a professional with all my papers in front of me? And then of course, as you get older, you learn that, you know what? Uh, Actors think you're a professional by you acting like one which really means to me um, being present for the actors in the room, what do they need to make the scene work Mm -hmm. and putting aside your preconceived notions of the scene because they're individuals bringing you bringing you, bringing you and as an actor if someone's directing me I, I want guidance, and I, but I also want to give them options. You of know, of course, you want to be able to. You, you want to bring what you bring to to, to the, the table, yeah. and it's invaluable because I think the biggest thing I learned from Duddy Kravitz was that uh, um, you know w- when you're working on a new show, you've got to be open to everything, and this is the year of that. I'm, I'm going to do a show at the Elgin Theater this year, my first time stepping on that stage. I'm doing a show called Dancer, okay, uh, being produced by Marlene Smith. And it, it, it's, it's about the story of Northern Dancer. Okay. And, and um, uh, you know, we, we, without really talking about the show, I can just say that it's, it's an incredible, incredible story, and it's a large cast, and, um, you know, it's going to be done like Duddy in terms of um, have faith with, with all the new things that are coming up before you. I just say to myself... Uh, it's the year of world premieres, and, and um, I guess Hogtown will fit into that yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, do you find that stage uh, intimidating? Is that because it's a big stage? It's a famous stage. Oh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm talk about it like the little boy that I am inside, going, "Wow, do I really get to step on there?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a, and it's a musical, and and you know, yeah, it is intimidating. But but I think again, you stick to what you're doing in the moment on stage and, and I learned that, that you know talking with you or talking before with people you can have that awe and then you get into rehearsal mm-hmm. like with some of the other actors I'm, I'm with which I can't talk about now but there's some really big people in this show that I'm with and I'm looking around going wow I get to work with that actor mm-hmm. and that yeah. actor but when you get into rehearsal then it's just about you know it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's work. just work it's yeah. just work right yeah, yeah. Um, I find there's something about the, uh, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just starting, but because it's such a big cast, it takes me time to shut it down. If you go upstairs and then downstairs, because I'm not somewhere lost in the house. Hi, my name is Liz. Hi, Liz. 
Thank Phil, you. thank you. We'll be wrapping up in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Um, in terms of, like, I know, I don't know about you, but, but I mean, I've often had that experience. Like, even if I know I'm not working on that stage, there's the, the, the feeling of like what happens when you get on that stage yeah. for the first time. There's that awe. That thing that probably draws us all to the stage. Of course, anyway. yeah. Um, now, this building that we're in, we're in Campbell House, right? Now, That's right. For, for where I can see some props that I think are probably for, for Hogtown. Um, what I mean, obviously, the the setting is just just perfect for 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 Hogtown. Is there anything aside from that that really drew you to this building as uh, as a venue? I just what I what I really loved about it was that the rooms are so different. So so you know what what we're sitting in here in the room called the Robinette, where where the bar is going to be with wood flooring. Uh, um, and it's perfect for a, ca a small intimate cabaret. And then you go across and look across and there's what they call the, the kitchenette, or the old kitchen with a stone floor and big fireplace and a ballroom upstairs. So it was just a venue with this so, so many different rooms um, in the style, the period that we needed that, that really drew me to it, you yeah. know. And the ability to have it on different floors is really important. Yeah, that is really important, you know? see, for this sort of thing. Yeah. People to be able to to move and to have one scene happen and not necessarily infects, infect another. Absolutely, absolutely. What are the dates for, for Hogtown? Uh, Hogtown opens on the 27th of January and uh, we close on the 31st. It really is a, a short little week mm -hmm. uh, and we're, we're sold out on, on, uh, on Friday night already. Wow. And, um, and we, we want to sell out, obviously we hope to sell out the five days. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where can people get tickets? Uh, they can just go to Hogtown Experience. That's all one word. Hogtown Experience. And, and on there, there'll be a link to get tickets. Mm -hmm. You can also type in Campbell House and go to the, the, uh, through the link through there. Uh, and it's right online. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to, to say about the show? Just that we, we, want, we want you to come and we want you to be vocal about what you liked about the show and what you didn't like um, and, I want, and I'm looking forward to speaking with people after about their experience because it's going to be coming uh, for a longer time. We should definitely talk uh, before it happens in the summer. I'd love to, to talk more like, of, for a little bit longer especially about what you learn from, the, from this upcoming performance. Oh, that will be, I look forward to that conversation, That'd Phil. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Thanks so much.